Hello and welcome back to my podcast, Facing Fears and Shifting Gears. This is a podcast about mental health and neurodiversity and how difficult times in our lives often lead us to positive breakthroughs and changes. My name is Leslie Reyes and I'm the author of the Indie Bragg award-winning Amazon bestseller, The Zen of Learning to Ride a Motorcycle, How I Faced My Fears, Shifted Gears, and Found Healing from Anxiety, Codependency, and Depression. I've seen mental illness up close, first as a daughter of a schizophrenic mother and later through my own personal mental health struggles. So today I wanna talk about my autism diagnosis. How did I get it and why did I need it? Well, first of all, I started to suspect that I was on the spectrum in the summer of 2021. My therapist who I'd been seeing for like about five years or so, she had been an autism therapy specialist earlier in her career and she worked with a lot of autistic kids and had followed up with some of them into adulthood and so i was seeing this therapist for about five years i started seeing her because i'm a psychiatric nurse and it's just part of my self-care routine Um, i was also under a lot of stress i noticed like every now and then i would say something to her And she would say, oh yeah, I have clients that say that. Or she'd say, oh yeah, um, I have clients on the autism spectrum that say things like that. But I never really thought about it. But then, then while I was writing my book, The Zen of Learning to Ride a Motorcycle, my computer algorithm started offering me videos and articles about women on the autism spectrum, especially on YouTube. I kept getting these TED Talks recommended for you, and it was women with Asperger's syndrome or was women on the autism spectrum. So then I finally watched one and I broke into tears because I related so much to what this woman was saying. Um, it was a TED Talk and I can't remember the woman's name, but she talked about how anytime she was tested for autism, It would say she was not autistic. Her brother had gotten an autism diagnosis and was getting the support he needed, but she was getting misdiagnosed with like borderline personality disorder and put on medication. And I remember one specific thing she was talking about how in the cafeteria in in her high school or grammar school, she couldn't handle all the smells and the noises. Um, So she would be like, huddling underneath one of the lunch tables with with her hands over her ears and everyone just thought she was crazy. Well, it turns out she was on the spectrum. I watched these videos and then I, next time I saw my therapist, I said, you know, I think I might be on the autism spectrum. And she said, well, tell me about that. What makes you think that? You know, a number of times I've talked about how I feel. One of the things that I talked about with her was how I felt like I didn't belong anywhere and California I'm, I'm born and raised in New Jersey and California I feel like at home here it's one of the few places I just feel like people don't really give a crap if you're weird or different or you know like the difference between the East Coast and the West Coast okay would be like like I recently dyed my hair pink on the East Coast people would be like oh, she dyed her hair pink because she's trying to get attention, blah, 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 blah. 
And on the West Coast, people say, oh, that's a nice hair color. <laughs> you know, they assume I dyed my hair pink out here because I like the color pink, not because I'm trying to draw attention to myself or provoke anybody, which I just think is so weird. Like, I just don't assume that strangers are dyeing their hair or wearing outrageous clothing for my benefit. I just assume people style their hair and dress the way they want to because they want to, but whatever. I digress. Um, So anyway, I told my therapist, I thought I was on the spectrum. You know, I told her how one of the things for me, and I'm going to talk about this as a separate subject, is how I have contextual blindness, total, total social nuance blindness when it comes to the social nuance. Like when people say, read the room, I, I can't, I don't, I don't read the room. I don't read that language. <laughs> I just don't see it. Um, so lots of embarrassing things have happened as a result of that. Lots of hurt, unintentionally hurt feelings because I've not been able to read the room. And then there was the meltdowns. I would find that I'm just getting overwhelmed and it, it's not like a specific trigger. So if I'm in a place like a shopping mall or a loud, you know, building that's really echoey and there are multiple people speaking over the loud speakers, like they're like if you're in a shopping mall and there's like there's a music piping through the hallways and then every store has got their own channel on. If I'm in a situation like that for too long or if I'm in a group of people that's like larger than five or six people and everybody's talking, like I start to get really grumpy. Like (laughs) I start to feel really irritated. And a lot of people on the autism spectrum have said they kind of realized they were on the spectrum after they had kids because the responsibility of taking care of their kids sort of made them realize that their threshold was kind of short. And, you know, they were like, why am I freaking out? Why am I so stressed out? Like, yeah, having kids is stressful, but like, why can't I not manage? Um, For me, it was becoming a nurse. That's when I was like, why am I freaking out? Why am I melting down all the time? Why can't I manage myself? The search for the right therapist to do an official diagnosis began around that time. And um, I had uh, switched jobs and got laid off. So in America here, our health insurance is uh, tied to our employment. I had a different doctor, um, but finally, finally, on the 18th of January, I was given an official autism level one diagnosis to 99.00 autism spectrum disorder level one requiring support so i got an executive functioning coach and it just gave me the ability to be grounded and just sort of be able to stop and breathe and look for a therapist so i went online and i just started looking at autism therapists and tried to find a psychotherapist who specialized in adults on the autism spectrum And the mistake that I'd made in the past was I just went to a psychiatrist or my doctor would, I'd say, I need a psychiatrist and my doctor would refer me to one, but it wasn't um, somebody who specialized in autism for adults in particular. So the first time I went to a psychiatrist to talk about being diagnosed on the spectrum, 
was a was a uh, doctor who specialized in pediatric psychology and autism. So of course, I get I got di- misdiagnosed, and he said I wasn't on the autism spectrum, and I was really upset because I know that I am. I knew that I was at this point, and I knew what kind of help I needed, but I just didn't know how to get it. So um, that's why I say try to find an executive functioning coach first because it'll just make it easier for you to advocate for yourself. So I did find this therapist in um, San Jose and she does um, assessments and she also works with a doctor who specializes in um, adults on the spectrum. And she even like, this is a very niche market here. She does couples counseling with people who are on the autism spectrum. And that totally makes sense to me because we definitely handle relationships differently, especially with the, um, a lot of times being blind to the body language or the unspoken communication. So 65% of our communication is nonverbal. And that means I'm missing up to 65% of what people are trying to communicate to me. I can, you know, see some of it, okay, but it's usually by then it's like somebody's trying to make it so obvious. Like if I'm talking too long and I'm hanging out with somebody and it's getting really late, somebody starts yawning and it's almost like a fake yawn because <laughs> they've probably been trying to give me some nonverbal social cues a half an hour to an hour earlier that they were getting tired and needed to wrap up the visit. But I don't catch on to it until they actually say, I'm really tired. I think I need to go home now. (laughs) Or they start yawning in such a way that's so obviously like they're trying to tell me that they're tired. Okay, so before I digress too far, let me just jump into my autism diagnosis report right here for you. So um, the purpose of this assessment and she talks about my history. So I'd been in therapy on and off since I was 18 years old and I was first diagnosed with depression. And then I was prescribed an antidepressant that I talk about in my book called um, Effexor. And I had a very bad reaction to it. It made me extremely um, hyper and manic. So I could see how I could get misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder or borderline personality disorder at that time. So that made me manic. And then I was put on another antidepressant. And then I was switched to another antidepressant later that that year. And then I was diagnosed with ADHD in 2004. So it just goes through my history of being diagnosed with depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder. So then um, it talks about here in 2017, I started seeing a therapist again after I became a nurse and I still see this therapist today. So then I took a leave of absence from my job um, when I was working at the hospital. I was under a lot of stress and then I changed my job because I was, you know, kind of operating with, I'm pretty sure I'm on the autism spectrum. I started doing a little research about, you know, what kind of job settings are good for people who are on the spectrum. and. You know, they talked about meltdowns a lot because that's something embarrassing. If, if you are on the autism spectrum and you are in a job where you're getting neurologically overloaded 
that's probably not the right job setting for you. And they were talking a lot about how working from home is a good setting for people who are on the autistic spectrum or on the autism spectrum. So I found a job doing case management from home and um, it was a remote job. My husband and I decided to move closer to where the corporate office was because there were talks about me possibly needing to go to some meetings in person. And I didn't want to have to take like a two hour plane ride back and forth like once or twice a month, especially on the spectrum now that's like a real disruption in routine. And you know, I'm, I'm starting to understand at this point that you know, I have certain limitations that I want to respect so that I don't end up, you know, at a meeting with my colleagues and then having a, a complete meltdown because I got overwhelmed. But then six weeks after I moved, I lost my job because of the budget. They uh, made budgetary cuts and my, I was actually really devastated and, um, I ended up being diagnosed with PTSD, not just from that job, but just from nursing in general, and just from just the stress of not really understanding why my brain works the way it does, <laughs> basically. So I, I've been really just focusing on my executive functioning therapy and trying to understand and navigate this new flesh suit. Like basically I've been told, you know, you're growing up your whole life and you know, your teachers, your parents, you know, you're trying, you're, you're, we're constantly learning, right? We're constantly learning. So if you want to think of your body as a car and that the way that you move through life is how you drive that car. Well, I, it's as if I was told that I have an automatic transmission car and my whole life I was taught to drive this car like it was an automatic transmission, but it turns out that my body or, you know, my car is a manual transmission. And if you ever tried to drive a car with a manual transmission, but you've tried to drive it as if it had an automatic transmission, the, the transmission explodes. So this is how I've been feeling my whole life. Like I'm driving around in this meat suit. Everyone's telling me it's an automatic transmission. What's my problem? And then I come to find out that the reason why I always have to bring my car into the shop and the reason why the transmission always explodes is because I'm a manual transmission or I'm on the autism spectrum. So if you want to think of neurotypicals, neurotypical people are like people who drive automatic transmission cars and people on the autism spectrum drive manual transmissions. So it's easier to get drive around in an automatic with an automatic transmission. It's harder to drive with a manual transmission, but sometimes you actually have more performance with a manual transmission. Manual transmissions often give you more control over the car, but it's a little bit more complicated to operate. So that's how I like to think of myself now. And that's kind of what this podcast is about, facing fears and shifting gears. <laughs>
I have to manually shift my gears. I have to be really, really cognizant of the things that are going to overwhelm me and cause me to have a meltdown because it's not anybody's responsibility to prevent me from having a meltdown. I have to know what my manual transmission can do and what it can't, right? So back to my diagnosis. So, so this is my history. She goes through blah, blah, blah. All right, you don't need to hear all that. So here's what's really important. These are the tests that they performed. A Montiero interview guidelines for diagnosing the autism spectrum dash two, the MIGDAS two, M-I-G-D-A-S dash two. The social responsiveness scale dash two, which is the SRS dash two. There was a clinical interview there was a family questionnaire and that was just asking all about my family history. And there are at least three or four people in my family that I can, I would put money on are undiagnosed uh, quote unquote Asperger's. So I wanna address that word Asperger's. Um, Asperger's syndrome is no longer in the DSM, um, the, the book that we all use for diagnoses, for medical diagnoses. It's now, autism level one, autism level two, and autism level three. So ADHD is considered a neurodivergence. It's not considered autism, but it is, I would almost consider it autism level one because there's so many overlaps in the qualities and behavior of a person with autism level one and ADHD have. Asperger's is now, if you know people who were diagnosed with Asperger's now would fall under autism level one. So the other thing that was different about this woman when she was evaluating me on the spectrum is she didn't just answer the questions, write down my answer, and then apply her interpretation to my answer. She did not do that. And that's something that I have found a lot of, especially the older, old school doctors do. They're the they are the expert and you're, you're the peon. <laughs> well, she's, she was more like, ask me, well, why would you say that? Give me an example. So, you know, so she never applied her opinion or her interpretation. She told me to interpret my experiences to her. And that's really important because there's two things. If you've seen one autistic person, you've seen one autistic person. And the other thing is that autism doesn't look a certain way, it feels a certain way. It, the experience is a certain experience. So, you know, it, it manifests in a lot of different ways. So I was really grateful that she was asking me why I answered questions the way I answered them because I've had um, psychiatric evaluations where I read the report and it's like, it took her a long time to answer this question because her attention span was poor. Well, maybe I was trying to think about how to answer the question appropriately. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like there was like there was an assumption that I, my attention waned rather than ask me, you know, why I got quiet was because I was doing something called thinking. <laughs> okay, so so there was the Montiero interview guidelines for diagnosing the autism spectrum, social responsiveness scale, clinical interview, family questionnaire, and mental. there was a mental status examination. So then she goes through my entire history. 
And we talk about how I, I honestly feel like my father is it has Asperger's syndrome. Um, he's he's always been a little funny with those social cues, like the way I am. Um, and I've always just assumed that he he was Aspie, as I called it. And I I like people who are Aspie, <laughs> and it makes sense now because I'm one of them. <laughs> so she goes through. They go through my whole history, and so here are some of the things that she pointed out to me are things that that they now recognize as being um, signs that someone's on the spectrum but totally got overlooked for me. She writes here, at a young age, the client retreated to her imaginary escape land in her mind of a future as a wealthy celebrity. This is true. I used to hope that someday I'm just going to be a rich and famous celebrity and I'll just have enough money to deal with all my problems. That's what that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, so then she writes, she mimicked television shows and dreamed of becoming a singer or actor. She was also prone to panic attacks and becoming anxious because she was afraid of losing the stability of her family and was hyper vigilant to keep her mother safe. That is because when I was 10 years old, my mother tried to commit suicide and I basically stopped her. And then it became a life filled with the four F's, flight, fight, fear, fawning. <laughs> I think I got those right. Please let me know if I didn't. <laughs> so we talk about my those things. So there's the, the mimicking of the television shows. Like that's all I did when I was a kid was I mimicked things. I mimicked TV shows. I mimicked singers. Then when I was in when I was in junior high, from ages like 12, 13, 14. I still like wanted to go trick or treating, and I still wanted to play Barbie dolls. I didn't understand what the big rush to grow up was, but you know, it kind of was not cool at that point because my girlfriends and everyone is starting to, people are starting to get interested in each other and wanting to date and things like that. She writes here, she struggled in school because she didn't understand social cues, couldn't remember the rules to play the games. Yes, I did terrible in gym class, and nobody wanted me on their team and was perpetually lost in my in her fantasy world. In junior high school, she was constantly reprimanded for mimicking others and trying to copy, copy the popular students. She was bullied, so this is true. And then my parents get divorced. I go to Catholic school, which is a nightmare, and college is a nightmare. She writes, she reports having a difficult time keeping friends because she would act weird in social situations or have meltdowns, and this is true. <laughs> She was treated as if she was not bright and was often told that she had made bad decisions or that she was naive. In addition, she was told she was immature and out of touch with, quote, the real world. Music and acting were ways she could play make-believe, which she thought would be her career after college. She reports feeling constantly weird and immature. This is true. Then, you know, I, I have come to realize I have one of my special interests as a person on the spectrum is astrology. And I realized that the reason I am so into astrology is because of my contextual blindness or social cue blindness. It, astrology for me gave me some minor insights into human behavior. You know, it, 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 it was just a way for me to try to navigate. I don't understand why people act the way they do. And it was a way for me to navigate why humans behave the way they do. I'm like thinking of that song by Bjork, Human Behavior. 
look at the look up the lyrics to Human Behavior by Bjork because that's pretty much how I feel about humans. So she talks about um, those are those are kind of with two cues like the mimicking, the bullying, the not understanding, you know, how to fit in. Um, a lot of women on the autism spectrum are sexually assaulted because we we're we don't realize we might be giving out sending out signals we don't mean to or we're not picking up on signals that are being sent to us so it, it, it's kind of common okay so mental status basically you know i was not suicidal homicidal or gravely disabled and then here's the test results so the montiero interview guidelines for diagnosing the autism spectrum too provides an assessment measurement using a process with sensory-based interview questions to gather and organize the qualitative information needed to diagnose autism in children, adolescents, and adults. The interview includes gathering present and historical information from the individual. The result is a comprehensive behavioral pro profile that describes the individual's distinct way of relating to the world. So this is basically saying, you know, this is a long-term diagnosis process other times i was diagnosed when they were like oh no you're not on the spectrum i probably sat with them for one or two hours total um and was only given like one test which was and i i, I don't know what the test was called but i, I guarantee it was created for young schoolboys and not even girls or women so i met with this therapist over the course of a, almost six months we were we were meeting so that helps to give you know put me and my behavior in context so the things that she found were consistent with autism spectrum disorder were sensory seeking routines and their function sensory sensitivities and triggers um, she did not see me having the stimmy body movements but I do tend to rock back and forth and wag my leg or I'm constantly picking my cuticles. <laughs> um, I just hide it really well so that people don't notice it. Language and communication. So intonation and inflection is consistent with ASD. And maybe you've already noticed I have a pretty monotone, loud voice. Um, basically, I find that I can either focus on what I'm trying to say or I can focus on the tone and volume of my voice. So if I'm focusing on the tone and volume of, of my voice, sometimes I'll have trouble finding the words um, to express myself. But then if I'm speaking the way it feels natural for me, people just think I'm angry and my voice is too loud and it's annoying to them. So I can't really win. <laughs> Content of preferred topics consistent with ASD. That's true. I love to talk about astrology and motorcycles and pretty much I am not good at small talk and it overwhelms me and it bores me and I don't get it. So she was saying I was because she did say I had a good sense of humor when it came to non-literal language, but that might just be because I grew up in New Jersey and everyone's so sarcastic. So I had to be able to to understand sarcasm at some level, but a lot of it does go over my head. And a lot of times I don't understand it. You know, like it, sometimes people are when they're being kind of like teasing you but they really do like you I have a hard time parsing that out between when somebody's just being like facetious or nasty 
she said my eye contact and gaze was good but i do find that to be difficult like uh, i'll have to look up or look down to find the words that i'm looking for facial expressions and overall quality of emotional responses was consistent with asd and i've heard that like people thinking i'm mad when i'm not or I might laugh inappropriately during a stressful situation and it's not because I think it's funny. It's just what my body does. Let's see. My anxiety and agitation level was consistent with ASD. And uh, my triggers were, um, my reaction to triggers were consistent with ASD. So then on the social responsiveness scale, this is an instrument that measures the presence and severity of social impairment within the autism spectrum and differentiates it from which occurs in other dis disorders. SRS2 measures social responsiveness and provides five scores, social awareness, social cognition, social communication, social motivation, and restricted interests in repetitive behavior. So if you score 59 and below, it means that you're not a, so you're not consistent with ASD. But a score between, let's see, a composite score between 60 and 65 is associated with mild to moderate deficits in social interaction. Scores between 66 and 75 are considered to display a moderate deficit in social interaction and to score greater than 76 is considered severe and strongly associated with a clinical diagnosis of, of ASD. I scored pretty high on this. It's hard to read these charts, but it looks like I scored 80. <laughs> oh, here it is. She says the client's total T-score results were 80, scoring in the severe range. I'm telling you, I am, I know like, I know how to talk and I know how to, to be engaging but I can't read the cues. Um, so scoring, I, I scored in the severe range. Scoring in this range indicates deficiencies in reciprocal social behavior that are clinically significant and lead to severe and enduring interference with everyday social activities. This is very true. Such scores are strongly associated with a clinical diagnosis of an autism spectrum disorder. Okay, and then in the DSM-5 here, there are seven DSM-5 criteria for autism spectrum disorder separated into two domains. A is social communication and interaction, and B is restrictive repetitive patterns of behavior. To meet the diagnostic criteria for autism spectrum disorder, all three criteria from the social communication and interaction domain, and at least two criteria from the restricted repetitive patterns of behavior domain must be met. So I scored 100%. I have deficits in social emotional reciprocity, blah, blah, blah. Deficits in nonverbal communicative behaviors and deficits in relationships. And that in the past was diagnosed as codependency. And I definitely feel that because people on the autism spectrum a lot of times can't read social cues i mean there's people who are like they're like well i can't read the cues i'm just not social and they're fine being alone but i wanted to understand people so i would like analyze relationships to death friendships romantic relationships work relationships you know now i'm at this point where like i have a couple friends who 
I haven't talked to in a little while and I started to become really paranoid that they just hate me. And normally I would just let it go and just wait, you know, until they interacted with me or until they contacted me. And then if they were acting like everything was fine, then, oh good, everything's fine. Um, but now like knowing that I have misread social cues in the past, very severely misre misread them or even have projected the wrong communication. You know, maybe these friends think that I'm mad at them and they're not talking to me. So this is something new I'm going to do today and I'm just going to reach out and say, hey, you know, ever since I got this diagnosis of being on the autism spectrum, I'm really conscious and aware of the fact that I am really bad with social reciprocity and understanding the nuances of social cues. So I just want to check in and are we okay? Are you and I okay? Um, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> But before my diagnosis, I wouldn't have thought to do that because I, you know, I think a lot of people might feel that if you're saying, you know, you didn't understand, you don't know, like they, they think that you're full of shit because, you know, if you're on the spectrum, people on the spectrum tend to be really intelligent. So it's, it's kind of hard for other people to reconcile that you didn't pick up on a social cue that's so obvious in our in our culture to everyone else how did you not pick it up but it it really is it's a it's it is absolutely a blindness and one of the things that's slowly happening for me is that i'm no longer feeling paranoid about social interactions like i would just you know i love hanging out with people and i love getting to know new people but there was always this sort of paranoia I would feel or this anxiety after hanging out in a large group of people like wondering if I upset anybody or wondering if I missed something it, it's just just a horrible feeling of of not knowing so you know it's it's nice to have the diagnosis and to be able to say hey you know since I was diagnosed on the spectrum and have discovered that this is one of the areas where I struggle, I'm just gonna come right out and ask. So then there's here on the differential diagnosis. As part of the assessment process, a differential diagnosis considered conditions with similar symptoms. Histrionic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder have been ruled out in this process. So basically, the result here was the client meets the diagnostic criteria, criteria for autism spectrum disorder. All right, so that is my autism diagnosis and how it came about. So I just wanted to say that your brain and your body are unique and your neural... So let me know what you think. Do you suspect that you are on the autism spectrum? And have you taken any steps to get a, an official diagnosis? What kind of um, steps have you taken to manage it? I'd love to hear about what you think in the comments below. Thank you again for joining me. This has been Leslie Reyes. I'm the author of The Zen of Learning to Ride a Motorcycle, which is a uh, mental health memoir about how my motorcycle 
became the guru that I needed to help me manage and heal from anxiety, codependency, and depression. Um, if you're interested, the link to buy the book is in the uh, description. And please uh, let me know what you think, and I'd love to hear your comments. Thank you so much again for joining me, and I look forward to talking again with you soon.